G'day mates, g'day ladies, how you going? Troy McCubbin here for Guitar Wank Podcast. I am your host with the most and you have no say in it. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. This is episode 99. Oh, f- shit, what is it? It's 99. Bound. E! E for elephant. <laughs> 99E And for all those people out there Who keep emailing me About when is the 100 show And when am I going to stop this shit I'm so surprised you care so much You know The longer this drags out The better the prizes will be You know that right Just saying But um, <laughs> I am surprised I get I get a few emails like Dude seriously Come on What are we going to take it to 99Z yeah, we actually might. We may we may do that, and uh, we may not. I don't know. But it's 99E. That's pretty cool. Um, uh, Bruce actually wanted to just, you know what, let's not do 100th show. Let's just skip over it and be like, all right, it's 104 now, or 105, or whatever. Anyway, welcome. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we, this is, I think, one of the first times this has ever happened. We just finished the show, like Bruce and uh, our guest tonight, the amazing, incredible, and quite lovely Adam Levy was our guest tonight, and um, it was such a great show. We had such a amazing hang together, and uh, first time I'd met Av- Adam... And just a fantastic bloke, really good guy, and you can tell he's just so passionate, a great player, a lot of cool stories, and we just had a really fantastic hang. I think it was a very different guitar wank tonight. We were scot-free. Scott's not on because uh, he's busy in writing and playing and recording world, so he couldn't make tonight. As much as we missed Scott tonight, and it was a scot-free episode, we had a lot of fun with Adam, so we really want to thank Adam for taking the time out and coming to join us that was really cool for bruce to set that up so yeah the guys just walked out the door and i'm now left here what is it 11:53 at night <laughs> on a monday night left to uh to quickly put this together and get it out on the airwaves to you lovely people out there and um just want to say a massive thank you uh, to all the people out there who have been emailing us at guitarwank at gmail.com, leaving reviews on iTunes or Stitcher, sending us an email telling us what you like about Guitar Wank and why you listen or, you know, whatever. And then also, shit, what was the, what was the other thing you had to do? It was three things. I have gone completely blank right now. Um, what was it? It was leave, that's right, leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Ah, I've got it. And it's, it's a late night. Uh, so, and we didn't drink that much. But we did really have great whiskey, nice whiskey. Um, leave a review on uh, iTunes or Stitcher. Subscribe on the web- website. Just go to guitarwank.com. <laughs> Subscribe. And um, so, you know. We have your email and we can sell it and abuse it. Joking. And also email us and let us know that you did all that and then say, you know, why you like Guitar Wank. And i got to say the emails, if we wanted to get our egos stroked, this is probably the wrong way to do that. Um, that hasn't been really good. Uh, no, I'm joking. 
It's been amazing, and some of the emails, I, I, I'm going to get the guys to read them on some shows, because really cool stories, and you guys sharing how much you love the show, and a lot of you guys um, are driving from one place to another, you're driving to work, you got to get up, or you're traveling, or you're off to a gig, and all these cool stories about, you know, how you listen to Guitar Wank. It's, it's so great to hear, and it, it warms my heart, I must say. So uh, thank you so much for sharing that and we're going to make sure that we actually, I wanted to push the shows, the 100 show until after NAM because it is NAM week. If you don't know what NAM is, NAM stands for something that I can't even think of right now, but it's an, a musical expo that happens at Anaheim, way down in Anaheim. It's such a pain in the ass to get to. Why don't they have it up in LA? But anyway, way down in Anaheim, the friggin' Disneyland, and uh, it's like a three, four-day event where we all come together and geek out on music and we catch up with friends, and it's it's cool. We all complain about it because it's such a... Especially if you're working the event, it is draining, and by the, by the Sunday afternoon, you really want to kill people. But um, thank God I haven't really got to that point. But uh, yeah. So anyway, we're going to Nam this week. So if you're at Nam and you see me, come up and say g'day because I'd love to let, meet our listeners and um, yeah, just be stoked to, to meet a fellow guitar wanker. So um, we're going to have a lot of our vendors down there. Wireworld Pro Audio Cables will be there. Make sure you stop by those guys. Say big g'day to Larry and David down there. They've got a bunch of new products and they're killing it on the cable world. We've got Sir Guitars will be there. Make sure you stop by and say g'day to those guys. And I believe Scott will be here at Sir at the booth. So stop by and give Scott a ton of shit if you can. Just tell him that the Aussie said to give you a ton of shit and he'll just, what up, bitch? And there you go. So that'll be fun. Um, Fucking everyone's going to be at NAM. What am I talking about? When it comes to vendors, like, they're all at NAM. So, you know, actually, I don't think Gibson are going to be there this year. Is that right? I could be wrong. I don't know. I thought I saw that somewhere. But anyway, so that's really cool. So if you see me, hopefully I have the amazing Guitar Wank Coaster. I won't be charging. I'm just going to give you a Guitar Wank Coaster if you come up and say say g'day and maybe a Guitar Wank pick if I have any left. And, uh, yeah be really cool i'm excited about it so that'll be fun so that'll be cool this week what else we got going on mccubbin oh crikey's wednesday if you're in la because this is like what i'm saying now is airing basically as soon as i finish talking this wednesday wednesday the 24th of january we have an amazing show at prohibition studios in north hollywood we still have a few tickets left we're gonna try and pack them in Danielle and Bruce, Danielle that was on last week's uh, episode, Danielle D'Andrea, gorgeous, beautiful lady, amazing vocalist. <clears throat> you got to got to hear some of her and what she's all about. A uh, lot of fun. They're going to be performing here in Prohibition Studios. If you haven't seen our little advertisements about that, so Bruce is going to do the red guitar first. Um, then we'll stop. And then Danielle and Bruce are going to do a bunch of tunes. It's really cool. Like, Bruce's red guitar, you got to see it. It's so cool. And the cool thing is we're going to actually, we're going to video it, we're going to film it, and we're going to stream it. 
So uh, I will make sure I let you guys know about that for all the people around the world who actually want to see this. We're going to stream stream it, so um, we'll set that up and make that happen for you guys. And uh, it'll be so worth it. It's We've done this a few times here at Prohibition Studios with Danielle and Bruce, and they kill. They're so good. Really amazing, and it's always a fun night. And um, Yeah, so uh, definitely well worth it. So there still are tickets available if you want a ticket. And uh, you all you have to do is reach out, guitarwank at gmail.com. Let me know, and I'll tell you how to buy a ticket, and I'll put your name down, and we're going to have wine, um, we're going to have snacks, we're going to have hookers and blow, and strippers, and dancers, and loud... It's going to be amazing. Okay, we're not going to have the hookers and blow, and the loud music, and the dancers, and all that, but we will have Danielle and Bruce, and really, that's all you need for that kind of event. So, um, so there you go. So, a lot happening. We just finished with Adam Levy... What a super cool cat, man. He's a really sweetheart of a guy. And I can tell he just... Uh, he's just cool. I'm not going to say too much because uh, just let him do the talking. I think that's it. If you want a mug or a t-shirt, go to guitarwank.com. Uh, you can buy a mug or a t-shirt. And I'll throw in some pics as well. And after this week, we're going to have coasters. So not only will I throw in an amazing Guitar Wank pick... I'm going to throw in a coaster as well. Does life get any better, ladies and gentlemen? Probably not. It doesn't. Uh, and uh, donations, we'll be accepting those in abundance if you feel inclined. So there you go. I think I've nailed everything. Uh, a few things that we are going to try and do in the new year. Um, we've made a decision to do less political talks. Yep. For all of you that have complained... You're going to be happy. Um, I'm going to definitely, and me and Scott are kind of trying to back that off. I know, you know, Bruce doesn't want to talk political. So why should we add to the bullshit? Because there's so much bullshit going on right now. We choose not to add to it. So I think that'll be a cool thing for 2018. Um, yeah, little things might be said, but we're not going to rant. All right. It's Howard Stern doesn't even jump on that bandwagon. So why the f- how would we do that so uh so i think that's a good thing it's a good way to move forward also um and we definitely got plenty of emails saying we love the political rants (laughs) mostly mostly foreigners Uh, the americans didn't like it too much but anyway the foreigners loved it but uh you know i think bruce said he'd do a political show like a separate podcast altogether and that would be really fun and interesting um yeah I wouldn't be the host, obviously. Um, all right, so that's that. So that's a good thing for 2018. Also, we uh, I'm going to try and keep my uh, intros down to... No, fuck it. Whatever they're going to be, they're going to be. Stick it up your bum. All right, so there you go. Here we go with uh, Scott Free episode. This is 99E e for elephant. And uh, I hope to see you at NAM this week. Please keep the, the emails coming. We really appreciate the support and the, the reviews on iTunes and anything else you can do to share the community and um, keep building it. It's it's cool. The, it's, it kind of gets me here, you know, when I get those emails from you guys. It does. It's really cool. It um, means a lot. It feels like we're not just talking to no one. So that's kind of cool. If you're driving, drive safe. 
you're uh, whatever else you're doing, just just be safe out there, kids. All right, we'll see you all next week. I don't know what's going to happen next week. Probably maybe Adam again. We'll just break it up. All right, so here's Mr. Adam Levy and Mr. Bruce Foreman and myself. Thank you so much. See you all at NAM this week and uh, be safe out there, guys. Let's all look after each other and ladies as well because we have a bunch of female guitar player listeners. All right, Mr. Bruce Foreman, Mr. Adam Levy, what the hell have we got in store for the people on this beautiful NAM Los Angeles week? Larry, David, I'll see you guys at NAM. Uh, Johnny Sir. Diodario, Jimmy Dunlop, uh, Exotic Pedals, uh, Riftmasterpro.com. Oh, they've got some cool prizes they're going to give us too. So we got, that's a lot of cool stuff, a lot of cool people to catch up with. So uh, let's have a fun week. Let's be safe out there and I'll talk to you later. All right. Out. <laughs> The whole solo thing, I mean, I never even thought of that as a way to perform, you know? Oh, that's and really it, funny. And it just sort of... You mentioned, well... It just sort of happened to me, and I really found that I, like, love doing it, because I can, like, sit and tell stories or jokes, and, like, I don't have a band kind of going, okay, man, come on, let's play. You know what I mean? I don't have yeah. that pressure from behind. Right. But isn't that funny, because, like, you mentioned that Joe Pass was kind of perplexed that... He hadn't planned to be a solo no, guy. No, not at all. And that's you mentioned Joe Pass to anybody today, and that's all they think of. Right. And it could come to pass, no pun intended, that yeah. if, <laughs> if this show goes on and on, that maybe that's that. That that's wow. Well, people, you say Bruce Fulton, people will think, oh, he's the red guitar guy. Right. You know, despite you know years of. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. okay with me. I don't know who the red guitar was, but I know what the red guitar is. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. Wow, interesting. That's kind of a cool yeah. take on it. Well. Welcome, onward. sir, to Guitar Wing. Welcome to Adam Levy. Wow. Thank you for Thank finally you so making much it. For coming. We're remiss in not having you sooner, but now you got more stuff to talk about. That's true. <laughs> Whatever doesn't if you kill can remember you makes it. your book longer. That's <laughs> yeah. what I say. Yeah, yeah. If, if you can remember it. That's the thing. Um, yeah. You obviously Bruce used something against you to get you here, which is always we encourage a little, that. A little bit of yeah, a little bit of <laughs> bribing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Blackmail we call it. Yeah. That always works. <laughs> um, yeah, we just we're, what if you say something and you want us to pull it out? Okay. We'll tell you, okay, we'll pull it out, but we never do. <laughs> <laughs> it just rings a bell. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and here's yet another episode where we call this Scott Free. Scott. <laughs> because Scott is still knee deep into his recording and his writing and his pre NAM show preparation right. and stuff. Okay. He's very, uh, as our listeners know, how meticulous he is about what he does and right. his process. Right. So um, we, uh, the show must go on. Sure. And so we're glad you're here. And yeah. to, uh, you know, keep us interesting because we ran out of that kind of stuff a long time ago. Uh, 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 episode three, I think, of the went to shit. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was episode three. Yeah. We kind of went downhill from there. Yeah. <laughs> and this is like episode 99, what, H or G? What is it? 
Yeah. 90? Really? We, we refuse to get 100. We think Why? It's, it's because it's just, it, it's too much pressure. <laughs> so we're kind of like 99G or H. We, we wanted to do a big show for the 100th, right? right? Sure. But clearly none of us can get it organized enough to actually commit to the 100th show. So I just started putting the alphabet there. <laughs> and we're going to do on the 100th show, we've got all these giveaways to do and... We it's going to be a big together. deal. Are like balloons going to fall from the ceiling? Sure, we'll probably have sure, that. Sure. Strippers, yeah, there'll be probably lots of drugs. And yeah. then we'll pull some names out of a hat and they'll win a bunch of prizes. And Cool. It's going to be a big and night. Then we have to mail them out, so we're just not ready to climb there. <laughs> right. yeah. We've got the prizes. That's good. But yeah. then you got to go to the post office. That's a, who wants to go to the post office? It's kind of a drag. I know. Right? Well, you yeah. know, you meet interesting people there. Well, that's true. And the that portraits on the wall are always interesting. <laughs> I actually like my post office. Yeah. I go there to mail out. Yeah. Like I have t- I have this thing, guitar tips, and uh-huh. people buy T-shirts. And so I want, that's the only thing that takes me to the post office anymore because, you know, you pay bills online right. and you order. Yeah, there's the only reason anymore. And I... I kind of like it i don't know maybe i'm the only oh one. no i know i go there every chance i get because i want don't want it to go away you know there's right. always been this attempt to privatize that part of the world yeah the post office is like the one thing we all got you know i mean they'll take a piece of mail wherever you want it to go if, if, if you got cash and you need a check they'll give you you know you can do the postal money order there's right. just so much you know i mean if i were running that show i would turn it into a bank mm. you know and compete with the other banks would be more fair because obviously mm-hmm. their business model is so much less non-profit more, more much more non-profit right so man if you had a bank in the post office you know how I many it, it would be the ultimate credit union yeah that's true why hasn't anybody thought of that because no oh, one ever asked you just me. gave it away should we take that out and use that no 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 one ever asked me if, if it happens i really don't want a piece of it i just want it to happen for the good of people <laughs> well man if you do that uh, <laughs> it's me doing it. Wait a minute. Please, uh, please include a currency exchange. It's kind of baffling mm-hmm. to me yeah, that, like, right? basically you have to go to the airport to exchange. You can't or, just or walk, downtown to these weird places. Right. You can't just walk into your local bank branch where you do. You know, think of how much business you give them all right. the year round for years on they end. They use one some euro, even just like things like euros yeah. or or like yen. Like right. we're not talking about you know like. Madagascar, whatever they have. No, euros, yen, and pound notes, maybe. Why why can't they do that? Why is that so... And, and of course, in Europe, it's like, no, it's a no-brainer. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe because that whole term of going postal. Well, maybe. maybe, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) It just deters a lot of people. I know, I know. It's true. It's true. There are some elements to the post office that have always been been inefficient, let's face it. But, you know, I mean, come on, think about our business. We're not a bastion of efficiency here. No, that's true. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. When we we think about it, it's like, you know, okay, I drive 400 miles to do a gig, and you drive 400 miles in the opposite direction. Why don't you just do the gig you're close to, and I do the gig I'm close to, and everything would be great. You know, socialism, though? No, 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 that's that's botulism. Okay, sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I probably should. You know, right. yeah, this is like some serious good stuff. I did a okay. did a record date today with this woman. That's great. Who awesome. kind of reimagined Patsy Cline tunes, mm. and it was really. I mean, God, those songs are so great. Yeah, the stories are so heavy, and yeah. 
the arrangements didn't hurt the songs particularly, you know, okay. which, which oftentimes, you know, sometimes I think jazz is where we just screw up pop songs. That's mm. kind of our job. But, you <laughs> know, the thing is, yeah. is everybody with you immediately goes, yeah, all those bad Beatle arrangements I've heard and all those bad, like, Green Day songs, you know, sure. too many chords and all stuff. Right. Yeah. But the truth is, 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 hey, the Beboppers, I'm sure that... Harold Arlen and uh, and you know George Gershwin would have thought that they were fucking up pop tunes too. I'm sure. Yeah. So that's not so a you know thing. it's it's a legacy we have. It's not like we just started doing it. No, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I know what you. It does. I hear people. Yeah, it's it just sounds schooly, you know. Yeah, too many chords, you know. Uh, accents at weird places just that makes it hard to do it yeah in like the whole at least this woman was singing the song so the story was there right well and that's the main that's the main thing I kind of feel like people go too far with reharms and rhythms like just write a new song at that yeah. point like if that's how you hear music uh-huh. why not just write that and if you if you botch up what the stories are then that's where the line is. That's just I know, but I mean, line. but yet, and you know, I mean, first of all, I want to just full disclosure. I'm a hypocrite. Okay. okay. <laughs> all right. That's going to be my new uh, like. I'm going to have H A Hypocrites Anonymous, <laughs> and I figure everybody in the world can belong. Yeah. You know, so it's right. going to be one of these very inclusive clubs. Okay. It'd be the twelve-step program. Although we use the chromatic scale. Yeah. And um, friends of <laughs> friends of Bruce. So we'll do we'll do C and then C sharp and then we'll do D and then we'll do E flat. And then we'll okay. Do <laughs> okay. <laughs> Those are the steps. You know? I like it. That's good. That's and, good. And um, but it's like one of one particular solo that changed my life was a song was Miles' version of All of You on the My Funny Valentine record. Mm. That, particularly Herbie's solo hmm. on that record, really I can trace so much of what I play to that experience, having listened to that and being so into that, hmm. you know. And yet, you know, and that approach to that song is very dark and there's a lot of dissonance, you know. I mean, you know, that I'm sure you know that. It's yeah, quite a famous, the Cole Porter song. Yeah, yeah it's a quite a famous uh, rendition, obviously, jazz classic. And then, you know, years later, I'm watching a movie called Silk Stockings, which is where the song came from. Okay. It's Fred Astaire and Sid Charisse, and it's, it's kind of a, a remake of that movie Babushka, where it's like a Russian guy who's trying to uh, defect mm. through Paris. He's like a great composer, and Hollywood's trying to get him because they need, you know, these great composers. You know, it's, it's, that's the storyline. And Fred Astaire is there oh. to kind of help this guy defect and steal him to Hollywood. And Sid Charisse is this Russian ice princess who's there to watch over the guy to make sure he doesn't defect. You know, it happens in Paris. Too much background, maybe. But mm. anyways, uh, this is one scene where, of course, Fred Astaire is trying, is flirting with this woman and trying to break her down, you know. Mm. And uh, he's singing all of you to her. Hmm. And the song is just a joke. I mean, he's just being funny. I mean, he's like, really, yes, he's hitting on her, and of course they're about to dance and fall in love, but right. he's really knows he has no chance, and that they don't, they're not a fit, and, you're like, and they're never going to agree on anything. And so right. he's just like throwing this funny, flirtatious song at right. her. I mean, the, it's one line that says, like, I love even the east, north, northwest, and south of you. Right. Is one of the lines. Right. I mean, that's some funny shit. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and like, and it's such a light heart. And I realize, 
I'm listening to the song, and my a lot of my life has been like directed by that other version of that song, which is not silly. which has nothing to do with the original piece. Huh. And it's just it was I mean it wasn't it was just illuminating. I mean it wasn't right. like I felt bad or I mean I just realized my hypocrisy. <laughs> you know I mean it's just mm. one of those like wow there's re- lack of resonance in that you know and it's kind of cool in a way but also wrong. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you get my point. I do. I do. <laughs> yeah, I'm just spinning out, just thinking of other But other we songs. have a lot of those things, right? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Where you... Well, so we have those kind of things where we, we have a code that we live by, and yet, you know, you something that really defines you goes 180 from what that code is, you know? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, I, you know, we just also have plenty of examples of something where you think that, that you've heard the definitive version of something, and then you discover that, like, it, yeah, it's so far from, from the original conception, mm-hmm. and you're just grateful that, that somebody had that vision to do that. Yeah. And, yeah, and you're a little embarrassed that you didn't realize that there was an original conception that you completely missed out on, if you're me. Hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm Jewish. Yeah, I'm Jewish, as you know, and I'm good with that shit. You know? <laughs> <laughs> how, how did you guys meet? When did you guys meet? Oh man, yeah, I when you were in the Bay Area. Yeah, I lived. In, I moved, so I grew up here in Los Angeles. Oh, you're, you're LA local. I am. Yeah. Whereabouts? I, well, I was born in Encino. Wow. You may have heard of it. Um, and then. <laughs> Uh, I went to high school in Thousand Oaks, out in Ventura County, and right. then I went to Dick Grove School of Music when it okay. was here. It actually, which wasn't su- super far from here, it was near the Sportsman's Lodge when I went there. Oh wow, I didn't know that. It was on yeah. Ventura near Coldwater. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, near what year is this? Uh, this was early eighties. Uh, late eighties. Yeah, I graduated high school in eighty four, and then I went to Dick Grove pretty much straight away. Wow. And then. Uh, I'll cut to the chase. In 89, I moved to San Francisco, uh, not really knowing much about the scene there, but I was in love with a, with a gal, and I followed her north from here. <laughs> and um, I was trying to figure out, you know, what's the San Francisco guitar scene, you know, especially as pertaining to jazz. And um, you know, Now, backing up, yeah. well, after the Dick Grove School, were you doing a lot of jazz gigs in L.A.? Was that your forte? Is that the direction you were going? Or were you playing around a lot of different styles? A lot of different things. My forte was working. Um, I grew <laughs> okay. up, my, my grandfather was a professional arranger and composer, and he worked in TV. Uh, he was the musical director on the Flip Wilson show and the Andy Williams show, oh, wow. and kind of when variety shows were the norm, the thing on the TV. Right? Yeah, yep. he, did, he did tons of that. So he really impressed upon me importance of working more than even having a style. I think to him, like, the, having a style seemed like, the, you know, a secondary consideration mm-hmm. to just working. So he thought, you know, learn every style, learn how to read, you know, show up on time, and just, like, be a professional, and don't worry about what, how do you describe your thing. It's, you know, it's... Because all the guys that he would hire to play in his, you know, like, he hired Jimmy Weibel, 
Um, Earl Palmer played a lot of sessions for him. Yeah. Uh, Al Aarons, the trumpet player, was a L.A. guy. Uh, Buddy Collette worked for him. Guys that you, you would think of as jazz players because you'd see them on like <coughs> Pacific Jazz Records from that time. But you know right. they were just working guys. In the you know in the daytime they'd be working TV shows. So when I moved to before I moved to San to answer your question, before I moved to San Francisco, I was just trying to work. So I was in an R and B like horn review band, almost like somewhere between Tower of Power and a slightly more early R&B conception. And we'd play lots of Motown and stacks and all kinds of stuff. I was in a big band that would play private functions. I had a guitar vocal duo that was sort of Tuck and Patty, though mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not Tuck Andrus, but it was sort of that kind of thing. And so it's just working, really yeah. just trying to work. Yeah. Casuals, some casuals. Whatever, whatever was coming along, you were yeah. jumping on it. And yeah. studio sessions, you know. Uh, again, just you know, reading the dots, you know, really more that than being like a, a specialist where oh, you'd hire that guy because he's going to play that <coughs> kind of solo. Just you know, reading, reading. Is that a good sight reader? I was then, mm -hmm. and then I drifted, and I'm I'm trying to get back to it now. Right. Though not for employ, like back then I thought you had to, just to be employable, you had to be able to sight read things. And then that, I think, changed in the studios and, and I just got working into other things. I'm working on it more now just because it's, I like it, it makes things available to me that, yeah. that are on pages, you know. Yeah. yeah. And you moved to, you went to San Fran, you followed yeah. the, the lady. Right, thank you for tying that thread together. So I was trying to figure out what the San Francisco scene was, and all roads kind of led to Bruce. I, I saw you at Pearl's a whole bunch of times. Right. And that's how I Yeah, but you were, you were there, the, you came in the late 80s, you say? Yeah, 89. Yeah, I that's there. right when that started, yeah, because mm. there was a couple other clubs. Yeah, I was, I mean, I was always working too. I've always worked a lot, you know, I mean, I never did quite what he did, but it's sort of the same thing, you know, show up on time, know a lot of tunes, I can comp, mm. make something happen, you know, if you want me to lead a trio, you want me to back up a singer, you know, it's like, I can do all those things, and, you know, and I was still working on what I guess would eventually became my style, mm. I never really thought of it in terms of that. Right. I think people are a lot more concerned with that now. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is kind of a specialization world we live in. But yeah, and I had this great gig. It was wonderful. We played four sets a night for this woman named wow. Pearl, and uh, we called her the Dragon Lady. <laughs> this <laughs> Asian woman, Chinese, and and how she, that started was even back to when I was like really young, working strip clubs and stuff in San Francisco, like fifteen years, twenty years before I met right. you. Um, she owned a Chinese restaurant. And it would stay open after hours. And she must have paid off the cops because everybody, like Herb Kane and mm. Carol Dota and mm. Willie Brown, everybody was in there at 2 o'clock and, and we're all drinking. <laughs> all drinking out. Not even coffee cups, just drinking. Right. So you just, like, you order drinks, you get it. And then she opened a jazz club, an after hours jazz club in the basement of that. It was on Great Eastern, it was on Jackson, right there <clears> in Chinatown. <throat> and then, uh, that place where Pearls was opened up, it had been called the Northern Lights, mm. and uh, she got it, and she moved in there, and then she tried doing the after hours thing, and they, they cracked down on it. They wouldn't right. let her like this. This was right on Broadway in Columbus, which is this like 
it's like Times Square of, right. uh, of, New, of San Francisco. Yeah. And there's big windows, you know, it's like a fishbowl. And like, you really can't be drinking after two o'clock, you know. Yeah, it, for people who live outside of California, yeah, California is very strict, like 2 a.m. last call, mm -hmm. no joke. I mean. Do you know why that is? No. I heard, and you guys might know better, but I heard back in the day when the studios were filming, all the actors and all the people working were staying out all these late nights and missing times and all that kind of stuff. So they put a curfew on so they'd be in bed earlier. And they weren't really? That's, that's what I've always been told. <laughs> I mean, I don't believe it, but it's plausible. I've never heard any reason for it. Mm. I mean, you know, but it sure, you know, they cracked down on us. So, you know, but she was still doing well. And we had like a weekly, I mean, when I was off the road, I had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday nights there with a great trio which I've made some records with. And, mm -hmm. and Thursday night was always the featured guest night. We'd be trio Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, some horn player or singer. But in any case, she was like really tough. You played 45 on, 15 off, and you played four sets. Whoa. So it was really a physical gig. Whoa. You know what I mean? And uh, so we, we always had guys sitting in. We loved it. You know, we made a big session out of it. We'd play the first hour or two, and then it's like if a guy was there to play, it's like, come on, let's play. Yeah. You know? And so it was a really great scene. And it was so funny. There's some New York, you know, like heavy, you know, hard-hitting guys, you know, like the Jersey-style New York, mm -hmm. guys, you know, those hard mm -hmm. swingers. Yeah. And they'd come, and they had a big attitude. They're on the West Coast, you know, they're from New York. It's mm -hmm. like, we're, we ain't shit, you right. know. And, and they'd be playing, and we'd all be mopping and bopping really hard for the first couple sets, you know. And, and mm. they're, they're like, you know, okay, these guys can hang. You know, they'd go from like, oh, you ain't shit, to, oh, you guys can play, cool, you know. And then about the third set, they'd start to fall off, <laughs> and we'd just start climbing the hill yeah, on them. And they'd right. kind of look at us, and we're just smiling at them. Yeah. And it was like, by the fourth set, they're like hanging really bad you know it's like hold, barely holding their tenor and shit and we're like spurning and it's like yeah. it's just because we had the stamina because we had that gig yeah, going that yeah. it wasn't right. like we were better or anything it's just we had it's like a long distance runner yeah. sure yeah yeah and it was really yeah but that's that gig was so great everybody mm. sat in and it was a great community you how old were you when you were going to this club with bruce, bruce that's Lee? funny i was just thinking of that um uh so I moved to San Francisco in 89. I was 23. So right. when I met Bruce, I might have been 24, 25. Yeah. And I'm think, I was thinking of this yesterday that, I mean, you seemed already at that point to be just like the sage, but I am guessing that you were younger then than I am now, which well, kind of fried my brain. So I hundred right, right. <laughs> So that kind <laughs> no of like offense. fried my, no, no, but like, you know, yeah. when you're 23 and somebody's on the stage. Like when were you born? 60? 66. Okay, I'm, I'm 10 years old. Okay, right. So like, right, in my mind at, at 23, like you're, you, you were 33 year old, you're 33 year old. I was like, wow, these are the, these are the, you know, these are grown ass men playing grown ass music. Yeah. And um, that's really what, you know, I, that's what I always aspired to. I think partly, as I said, from my grandfather, you know, going to those sessions to see these guys playing, uh, you know, just TV dates. My idea of, of music wasn't, you know, youth and rebellion and rock and roll. It was work. Right. You know, and so to, to see guys in like 
I want to say shirts and ties. I don't think. Did, did you guys? Did you might have? Okay. I had a mullet probably, but <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed like wow. That is that is <clears throat> very professional. Very shit. Together, yeah, right? that yeah. was just like yeah. So it's funny to me now, like you know, to be another you know twenty years or, or more past that, and to think like. If you what a young whippersnapper! Yeah, yeah, if I went to Pearl, if I could go in a time machine and see yeah. the, the, that Bruce was actually just thirty-three years old, I don't. Was Vince older? Did he just have early silver hair? No, Vince. Vince is like fifteen years older than me. Okay, he was like my father. In okay, a way, and, you know. Okay, like I was coming out of high school, and he was the thirty-three-year-old guy. Right. You know, and so Vince, it, Vince Ladiano, he's right. the drummer there, and he was he led the trio. Okay, basically. Yeah. And I played with him. I mean, from the first gigs I ever did, they were with Vince, mm. you know, and he was just always hipping me to kinds of music, pulling my, you know, chain, don't do this, do this, you know. He was always the gentleman of jazz, you know. Yeah. He had everything together, man. He was, yeah. he's really a great drummer. And he was, you know, I mean, you can hear him on a lot of Cal Jader records. Mm -hmm. He did Tanya Maria. He's on some of my records. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's still up in San Francisco. Just old school Italian too. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally That's old cool. school Italian man. Yeah, he you know he ran that. I mean, he, we were <clears throat> wide open. You could sit in, but if you if you acted like a jerk, he was like he didn't take no shit. I don't care who you were, how <laughs> big you were, how badass you were. Once he kicked Harry Connick off the bandstand. Wow. What happened? Well, we had a guy sitting in right. on piano, and Harry came in, and he was probably having a good time. The whole band was in town. They were mm. all hanging at Pearl's. And there was a guy sitting in on piano, and Harry just kind of walked up the stage and kind of bumped the guy off and started playing. And Vince just stopped. Wow. And he said, no, we don't do that here. Wow. Wait your turn. Damn. And like Harry's like, you know, was was about to go like you don't know who I am, or you could right. see it. And Vince just looked at him, and he went like, "I think I'll go have a taste." You know, <laughs> and, we'll, we, and Vince said as he was leaving, "Look, we'll get you right up here, you know, but let the, let this guy play, man." Sure, you know? right, sure. And wow. so, and then we just like That's literally badass. started playing where we'd left off in the tune. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, how long were you in SF for? About a decade. The end of the the last year or two, I was there is kind of murky because what happened was in ninety six or seven, I moved to New York for a year. Did you get the girl? Did you and the girl oh, stay together boy. or not? No, it actually wound up. I mean, we were so young, and yeah. actually, she was going to school at a college, not in San Francisco, but in, in Davis, which is out by oh, Sacramento. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I moved to San Francisco because I wanted to be close to her, but I also knew that if I moved to Davis, that that yeah. would be the end of my career. <laughs> the end of it. Uh, which hadn't even started yet, yeah, so I right. wasn't ready to end it yet. Um, <laughs> and after a little while, we just, yeah, I mean, we were kids and we grew in different directions, but yeah. it, was, it was fine. And I wound up staying in San Francisco, and um, then what happened? I... I I was, like I said, I was always working, so I would do different things, and I was playing jazz, and I was teaching at Blue Bear, which is a music school there. I played with Dan Hicks for a year, oh, okay, kind yeah. of following in the footsteps of Paul Mailing. Did you know yeah, Paul? Yeah, yeah, sure. And then I played with Tracy Chapman for a year. Wow. Yeah. Was that when she blew up? Was she... It was kind of her her comeback. I played on a song called Give Me One Reason, which is, oh. yeah. Is that your guitar part? Yeah. 
Nice work, dude. Well, I don't thanks. know how many gigs I played that one at. <laughs> so I played tune. on that, you know, which is that's actually her fourth record. So it's not like Fast Car and, no. and that early stuff, but it's when she had kind of a resurgence. So I, I played on that. And I, I worked with her for about a year, and then I decided to move to New York. Now, hold on, I've got to stop you there, because I'm, I'm very curious, how how does a guy <coughs> get the Tracy Chapman? I mean, that's a, that's, a, that's a great gig. It was a great gig, and by far the, the biggest gig. I mean, I was playing a lot of funky little gigs around San Francisco, right. and then suddenly I'm on the radio. Like, you know, that was a, a big leap. And also, you know, like when you tell people you're playing with Tracy Chapman... Nobody says who. Like no. everybody, especially at that time, yeah, everybody right. was like, "Oh, Damn. that's a gig." And that was right. a big song. Right. It was a big song. So it happened actually because of fraternal guitar brotherhood. Um, there's. Do you know who Charlie Hunter is? Yeah. 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 So at a point, uh, Charlie Hunter's trio was opening for Tracy Chapman. Seems like a strange matchup to me, but that was what was happening, and he was on tour with her. And she asked him at some point if he would be interested in playing with her, and he said, you know, I kind of have my own thing, um, but maybe you should call Adam Levy. I think he would be a good fit in your band. And so I got a call, and I auditioned, and I, I got the gig. Wow. Yeah. And it That's was a, awesome. It was. It was a really big leap from anything I had done before yeah. that. I'd never never been on anything like that. So I did that for a year. And I, to be honest, I felt like I wasn't ready to totally take on that kind of gig. I did it for a year and then decided I would be more comfortable hanging out with my friends and playing music. I don't know. It was kind of weird. And I don't know, in retrospect... Yeah, where, where does that come from? I mean, we all have those feelings and those decisions in our life. I think that's that's universal. I mean, almost everybody has that sort of moment where it's like you kind of circle the wagons. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's that yeah. moment of like, am I going to go for this? Uh, nah, I don't. You know, and you come up with all these reasons why not. Where does that come from, you think? Oof. Um, wow. Fear? Yeah. For me, it was fear. Yeah, I mean, but you rationalize it out, so you don't even recognize it sometimes as fear. Yeah. You see it later that way. Now, yeah. Now, I would imagine, uh, just looking back, now, it wouldn't be, like, difficult, the difficulty level, or were you just second-guessing yourself at that time, or...? I was, I think what it was it, is I was, wow, it was two things. One was... I've never really thought about it as seriously as this. Well, you're on the couch. We've got you I now. am. <laughs> uh, one was, was I ready to just lose myself in somebody else's music? Because mm -hmm. a lot of that gig, 99.9% .9 of that gig was just playing the music. Like, she already had made three records, and we when we played live, she wanted things to sound like... The album. The album. Right. Tonally, parts feel everything was like she wanted you know some artists like stuff sound like the record other artists might not want that but at that so and even when we were making the album that give me one reason is on which is it is now i'm called new beginning she's really specific about parts and i had always liked to have a little bit more you know kind of wiggle room than that so that right. was part of it it's like am i really ready to like to commit to a band 
that is <coughs> entirely somebody else's vision where, where somebody's like pointing their finger and saying, no, 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 don't, don't play that note there, P play it there, or, yeah. you know, like. That's a tough one. That was tough, and, um, you know, even though I, like I said earlier, I was like striving to grow up and be professional, it was kind of that moment, it was sort of like moving out of my parents' house or something, it was like, okay, you're done with school now, like, are you really ready to, I kind of felt like if I, if I really embraced that gig, there was just no going back, even though yeah. I wasn't 10 or 20 at, at that point, but, you know, I was almost 30 when I had that gig, yeah. but it was just such a leap. So, uh, you know, I, like Bruce said, I rationalized, you know, she, to me, I felt like she wasn't, she was, she was a real taskmaster, and, and, you know, I felt like she wasn't this kind of, like, peace and love person in real life that she was in her songs and I and I thought well that's not really right and you know yeah. I look looking back you know it's I might I might have told this story before but I told my grandfather that I was quitting the gig and like I said he was a professional and, I, and he said asked me like do you have another gig to go to and I said no and he said well why would you leave that gig and I said well you know I didn't, <coughs> I didn't really think she was like really living the way that she sings in her songs, you know, she's built this empire of singing, you know, she has this kind of persona, and she's not really living it, and he just paused, and he said, do you think Tony Bennett actually left his heart in San Francisco? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, that was his answer, and I was like, true story, okay, right, point taken, but at that point, there was no going back, so I moved to New York, <laughs> tried to make a fresh start. And, um, uh, but a year in New York just totally kicked my ass and I wound up moving back to San Francisco for a year and then I kind of got my courage up and I moved back to New York. So wow. I can tell you exactly when I moved to San Francisco from LA, but when I moved to New York, it's just harder to pinpoint because I was kind of, you know, vacillating a little bit. That's, that's pretty, pretty interesting to, to go to New York leave and then you go all right i'm gonna give this another go that's really cool yeah i had to, to do, do that wow and how did that how did things change like you were doing Im like immersing yourself into the jazz scene there was that the focus or yeah yeah, yeah. how was that different to, to san francisco well again i never quite thought about it. you guys are good you 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 get you probe uh, you're probing. Well, so it's good. Scott's not here. We can do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, so it's a little more. We we don't probe. We use sledgehammer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, so okay. So when I first moved to San Francisco, I wanted to find the kind of jazz thing, and in the end, work there really turned out to be about more about singers working with singer songwriters, right. people who wanted a jazz approach or a jazz outlook you know but they were writing songs with three or four chords but they wanted the kind of openness and the improvisation and when i moved to new york kind of a similar thing happened i moved there because i was listening to all these kind of downtown we would say downtown records you know um the paul motion trio with bill frizzell and stuff that that mark rebo was doing and in the end i didn't really <coughs> I sort of got embraced by that scene. I got to play for a year with Joey Barron, who's an incredible drummer. Wow, I love his playing. Yeah, that was maybe the 
the the moment where I was really in that scene. Um, I got to play with him for a year. We toured a little bit and made a record. And um, but in the end, the stuff that really actually paid any bills for me was like singer songwriters. I don't know how come they had more money than jazz people, <laughs> right? But they always the more people listen to it. No, the whole. Se- I remember when that scene changed. You know, I'm just just this side of the age thing when it flipped. Mm. So it never was really open to me. You know, mm. I was already like pegged into the bebop swing world, and I saw you know the swing thing happen, the retro swing, and then the singer songwriter thing blew right. up. Right. And I was already like in my 30s and kind of past that. Mm-hmm. And so I never really got embraced, you know, into it. But I remember, it, yeah, it took over. Basically, that's what all the young guys were doing, even all the young jazz guys who I, who would study with me, wanting to learn bebop or whatever. And basically their work was singer-songwriter-oriented yeah. projects, you know. Yeah. That just was where the music was going. Yeah. And uh, what people wanted to hear, and you know, it's probably a direct expression of of numerous things. One, in my feeling, is just the world around us and what people wanted to hear, of course. Yeah. But also, you know, jazz was was already embarking on that road into geekitude. Right. Mm. You know, it was losing its cultural um, street connection. Right. And it was becoming a, uh, a ca- academic kind of pursuit uh, competitive on the virtuosic level and the complexity level and it was losing its blues context it wasn't fun music for people to go hang out and listen to and party to I mean that's what I see happening right. you mm-hmm. know and when I go to a jazz concert it's like watching TV now and when I played jazz you know 30 years ago it was it was a hang yeah I mean, yeah, people were involved. I mean, they were part of it, and yeah. uh, but that's you know. And so I think the singer songwriter really embraced more of what people were feeling and needing to hear at that time. Yeah, you know, and it's still going strong. Yeah, it is, and it's morphed into many different things. You know, right. and it had been going on since the '60s. I mean, you had Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen. I mean, it's like and Paul Simon. That's James oh, yeah. Taylor. You sure. know, what I mean, it's not like it wasn't there. Right. No. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, you mentioned those guys. It's interesting. Like, there's great jazz actually, kind of in the fabric. Not not so much with Dylan, but like James Taylor. You have you know, uh, "Don't Let Me Be Lonely Tonight" with right. this great Michael Brecker solo on it. Right. And Paul Simon. You have Richard T. playing piano. Well, just like, the harmon- harmony, the way oh, they approach man. harmony, the richness yeah. of it. Yeah. It's very you know. It's there's a lot of harmonic voice leading mm-hmm. and you know intricacy to it so yeah. it's yeah i mean it's not like dylan and even somewhat leonard cohen who had like about half a dozen moves right. you know and right. you pretty much were going to live within that world right and it lived and died with the stories that were told right which were brilliant right you know so were you in new york was it mainly the jazz thing, or did you find yourself getting into the singer-songwriter backing oh, that up? Right. Well, that's right. That's what I was. Uh, that's where I was headed. Was like, yeah. So I, I went to play jazz, but the work was playing with singer-songwriters. Right. So for a little bit, I played with Rebecca Martin, who's a great singer. Um, uh, do you know her? Isn't she married to Larry? Exactly. She married to Larry Granadier. Yeah. I, um, I played for a little bit with her. Uh, 
different people. And then eventually, um, I wound up meeting Nora Jones, who, when I met her, was like this 20-year-old kid who hadn't completely dropped out of North Texas. She was studying jazz piano and came to New York for a summer. Wow. And wasn't anybody that anybody had heard of, you know. Do you, now, just... I. I had a girlfriend that I dated years ago. She was an, an actress, successful actress. God help me why I did that. But <laughs> <laughs> she always told me that she was roommates with Nora Jones for the longest time in New York. What's can I ask she, her name? And Katie Sackoff. Um, she was a blonde, blonde chick. Um, wow. I have to look her up. It doesn't ring a bell, but I just maybe spaced out at the yeah, moment. I, yeah, I, I was always hesitant. I was like, hey, is she full of shit or not? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> she always told me Nora Jones stories. So you you, you, you met Nora. So you were in that first Nora Jones band. The, yeah. the, 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 that famous one where they invested all the money in this record and like basically maxed out and it was almost all over and then boom, it like hit, right? Exactly. Isn't that the kind of way? Yeah. I mean, that's the, that's the mythology. Is that really a true story? It is pretty true. Um... I mean, that record is real. The first record, the record that everybody Don't know knows, why. Yeah, yeah. Is, well, the, the album is, come, is called Come Away With Me. Right. And that album is actually um, a, an amalgam of three totally different sessions. So before she, before she got signed to make an album, she got like a, a small advance to do a, a very simple round of demos. No producer, just like get a band together and I wasn't part of that because that was sort of in this in-between time when I had moved back to San Francisco and um, she had a band <coughs> I think Adam Rogers was playing guitar on it actually anyway she recorded like five or six songs yeah. Blue Note put it out as first sessions it's if you collect CDs you can find it somewhere um, they pressed a limited number of it uh, but basically it was I don't think they'd put any money behind it. They basically just gave her a small budget and said, here, record some songs, because they were curious to see where it would go. Right. That had Don't Know Why on it. Oh, wow. And a couple other songs. And so when she turned that into the label, they were like, whoa, okay, hold on. Let's, let's see what happens if we like really hire a producer and make like a real record. So they hired a producer. Um, they spent a bunch of money making a record. And when all was said and done, and they they had you know they had Bill Frizzell on it, and they mm. had like you know some kind of names on it, and um, and when that record was done, Nora wasn't really happy, and the label wasn't really happy, and they'd already spent a big wad of money on it, and they were not really sure what to do, so they wasn't there a reason for not being happy? Just no, they didn't have the vibe they wanted. They felt yeah, a I think. Cold. It, yeah, it didn't quite have the vibe of these kind of low budget sessions. Right. Like it was, a, it just had gotten a little bit away from too produced, yeah, and polished, yeah. And uh, yeah, I think one thing that happened. I mean, there's never just one thing, but I. But one thing that I remember Nora saying was that, like, they the producer had asked, really didn't want her to sing and play at the same time. That it was more like you know, maybe play piano with the band and then sing later or vice versa, I forget. Right. And her, she just grew up singing and playing piano. So it was, 
you know, she was a kid. She wasn't a seasoned studio professional where you're like, oh, sure, I can separate. I'll record just my right hand part, and then right, I'll record yeah, my left. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't like that. So that was, I think, disorienting to her, mm-hmm. and that was one of probably many things that made that happen. Anyway, so they said, look, let's get, let's hire a different producer, and they wound up hiring Arif Martin, who was a legendary producer, especially had worked with a lot of vocalists. And they recorded like seven or eight songs, and I was part of that session. At that point, I was living in San Francisco again, and Nora called me up and she said, like, I'm making this record. For, I didn't know all the backstory that she had right. already kind of made the record, but <coughs> she, all she said was, I'm making a record for Blue Note. Could you come out and play on it? I really would like to hear your sound on it. Because we'd played together before. I mean, we, when we played before, we were just playing like brunch gigs and stuff. Oh, okay. But she used to come out and see me play live. She was like, she saw me many times with Joey Barron. And like, she knew what I sounded like when I was stretching out, even though our gigs together were more kind of like brunch gigs and right. stuff. So she wanted, I guess, whatever it is I do, she wanted that. And so I, I left San Francisco and I moved back to New York. All I knew was I was going to get to play on this record. I had no other real plan. Um, and and coincidentally, a friend of mine was leaving New York and needed a subletter for it. So I had like super cheap rent and a recording session. And the recording session, my rent was so cheap. It was such a miracle. Like my week in the studio with Nora probably paid for most of that year in New York. Wow. Because it was, it was just cheap rent. So anyway, long story short, it's too late for long story short, but <laughs> the album that people know has come away with me really is, don't know why, from that cheap demo session, they just remixed it and I think she sang a secondary harmony. It's like basically that. Mm-hmm. And then like three or four <coughs> things from the session that didn't go and then seven or eight things from the session that I'm on. Wow. And that's... Even though it feels like one big organic session, it's actually two or three years, different people, right. different, yeah. Wow. Cool. And then you guys, of course, it blew up, and then it was a nice touring gig for a good while, right? I did it for seven years, yeah. Seven years. Wow. How, now, you finished the recording session, They did you have an inkling, oh, this is going to do something, or you was like, oh, this None. is another... No, no, no idea. No, no, no. I'm so dumb. I had no idea. <laughs> well, it's uh, you know, God. I mean, so many things have to come into play. Yeah. I mean, granted, Nora has some provenance. Mm-hmm. You know, mm. she's related. Mm. Well, who's the dad again? It's not Ravi Shankar. Is this your father? Father is her father is Ravi Shankar. I yeah. thought it was like her uncle. No. Okay, so you know, so she's got some blood in the game. Yeah, yeah. you know that helps. You know, and she's of course beautiful, and she's great. You mm-hmm. know, so. Um, but still, with all those things and good tunes, how many how many are just littering the you know roadkill? Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? Sure. Well, well, on the highway of of that kind of place. Wondering with how much money, like they threw down money wise, right on this, sure. this stuff. So they 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 thought it was going to go, and they played it right, and it did, and it yeah. was it was really very timely. I mean, when you think about it, it it kind of set a trend that a lot of people. It. A lot of people fucking huge. Back. It was huge. Well, no, it, it, no, it really opened up like a whole new avenue for lots of similar kinds of artists Absolutely. and similar yeah. approaches. Absolutely. You know, and uh, it's really amazing. It's yeah. really great. It must have been a great ride, dude. It was an incredible ride, yeah. Was it, when it first started to hit, 
Was that a little nerve-wracking? Like, oh, fuck, here we go. Yeah, because it was deja vu. It was a, I mean, it was a very different situation than the Tracy Chapman thing right. in that, I, I mean, I, had, I related a lot more to where Nora was coming from. I felt like we had m- more similar record collections mm-hmm. and similar passions about music. And, uh, you know, I felt part of it like I was on the record and she encouraged me every step of the way in the studio to do what I do yeah so I wasn't on the road playing somebody else's parts so much so it felt different but there's still that a little bit of like oh no am am I gonna just be swallowed up into somebody else but at the same time I've always loved players that had those kind of careers like Mike Campbell you think of him with Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers mm-hmm. that's how you think of him he may have done millions of other things I mean I have no idea but I thought wow what a great thing to be like that guy or yeah, right. you know to be somebody in a in a band and so I really um, thought it, it was a good it was a perfect time for me to have that kind of gig when I was with the Tracy Chapman thing I, I guess I just wasn't ready for that and um it oh. turned out i was ready for yeah, yeah. well the nori gig was a completely different animal too yeah you know so wow you, you know you were creative and you were and yet i mean it must have been to a certain extent i mean she's the big star and you're yeah. just the sideman guy right? right i mean as much as she i'm sure relied on you guys and felt you were big part of it you know it was obvious to you you know you get off the bandstand no one knows who you are and they're like mobbing her right yeah absolutely that's the world sure you know. of course but I know why I kind of feel like that's good yeah <laughs> right yeah you it's don't have true. to deal with all that bullshit interview all that exactly. press exactly yeah. you go into a new city you guys get to go off and do what you want and she's stuck doing photos and interviews for the next three days was right. that how it was like basically and you know I could go into a record shop and nobody would try to talk to me or yeah. ask me goofy questions or ask for my autograph or take pictures like you know like she I wouldn't trade places with her right. I was I was glad to be a little bit anonymous uh, it, it was just kind of the sweet spot because like people did appreciate what I was doing they knew it was me that was playing on the records and stuff but I could <coughs> have a life. I mean, when when that first record really blew up, she was living in this funky little apartment in um, I don't even know what part of Brooklyn it is. I want it's like it, it would. It's not quite Williamsburg. It was kind of like a weirder, yeah. funkier part. And all of a sudden, like everyone knew where she lived because the Post, the New York Post. The day after she won the Grammy, she won eight Grammys in wow. 2002 or three off that first record. Yeah. And somehow the New York Post found out where she lived and showed the picture of the building where she lived. And it was clear enough, just <laughs> from the picture, people could stand outside her window and go, that's where that Grammy girl lives. Wow. And she had to move. Like, I didn't have that problem. No. Nobody was standing outside <laughs> my window, you know, gawking. So, yeah. no, it was it was nice to have steady work and have recognition by my peers and um you know but I, you know i didn't have to deal with any of that and, and the perks obviously you guys traveled the world a lot travel the world yeah got to do all that and all of it. get looked after and all yeah. that kind of fun stuff and 
Wow, man, what a fantastic ride. It was, and I left, you know, for just personal reasons. It was it had nothing to do with the gig. I was, uh, yeah, I, I, you, I don't know if you know, I was, I was widowed in 2009, and towards the end of the, my tenure with Nora, my wife was sick, and I just, I didn't want to be on the road that much. Of so course, basically, yeah, I, yeah. basically, I left to have more time at home. Yeah, I was, yeah. Glad I did, and that's the reason I left. It was not any other thing. So, um, and as it turns out, Nora made a change shortly after that, and basically the whole band she she put a new band together. So right. who knows what would have happened if yeah. I had yeah. stayed? But you know, but that chapter ended, and then I had to kind of find new <coughs> things, you know, new yeah. things to do. And you stayed in New York for a while, right? I did. I stayed in New York until 2012 or 13, so that was another probably five years after I left Nora. Right. Yeah. Did you enjoy New Obviously enjoyed New York. I did, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I go there, and I'm like, I go there with the family, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, how a guy's gig, if you're living on the fourth floor on one of those brownstones, there's no elevator, and you're going to carry all your gear. It sucked. When I was playing with Nora, those early days especially, I, my main amp was a Vibrolux, and I lived on the sixth floor with no elevator. <laughs> and I'd get off the road, like we'd go out for these short trips, like little like weekenders, we'd go to like Boston or whatever and do like three or four shows. It'd get to the end, of, you know, the, the van would drop me off in front of my apartment, and I'd have a suitcase and two guitars and a Vibrolux. And I would have to kind of like take, you know, go up to the first flight, take two trips, get everything <laughs> right. up to the first flight. Because it was New York. I didn't want to leave anything no. out of my sight. Yeah. So that really sucked. That's when I discovered that like Princeton reverbs are the best amp ever invented. <laughs> and that one guitar is plenty Funny. for any gig. Yeah. I stopped using pedals even. Like I just, I would do it really light. Because... Um, yeah, it's just impossible. Uh, one thing in New York, a lot of clubs have back lines. Right. So yeah, yeah, figure that's, out how that's to, the good thing about New York. Yeah, you figure out how to get a good sound out of anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't walk into an amp and turn your nose at a, at a rolling jazz chorus. You just go, okay, <laughs> yeah, we're this here. Is, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <coughs> I, mean, always, I mean, that was that way when I was living in New York. I mean, that was the late 70s. There was backline then? Pretty much. There were amps in almost all the clubs and all the lofts that we used to hang out in and play. Wow. There was always a something you could something. plug in. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's the first thing that comes to mind is like, and being there in winter is just like. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm making a, a pilgrimage there. I'm going, you know, I haven't played there in like 15, 20 years. When are you going? And I'm going in May. Okay. And one of my big things, I want to do the red guitar somewhere. You know? Oh yeah. And then, but I want to just hang out and listen to a bunch of guys, but I also want to play. And I'm I'm assuming that it's still the same way that there's a bunch of amps laying around in the clubs always. And yeah. If not, I got friends that got them, you know, and stuff. So. If you d don't, uh, let me know how it works out. I know a really cool house concert series, and if you're open to doing the red guitar, kind sure. of similar to what I, you know. I know somebody who has okay, a really cool Okay, well, I'll call you series. tomorrow yeah. and, or a text you, and we'll, you know, because I'm just setting it up now. Yeah. Got some gigs. I mean, guys have already, like, say, yeah, come play here, come play here. Oh, you know. wow. So it's it's actually been very heartwarming. I'm doing the same thing in Nashville the month before. 
Who are you going to play with in Nashville? I, I got just friends there. You know, Andy Reese and Chip, Chip Henderson and Richard yeah. Smith and yeah. uh, Annie Selleck, you know. And I just call them all and say, look, I'm just coming to hang out and listen to everybody. If, if I could figure out a way to do the red guitar once, I'll be happy. If, if I can get in on some gigs, cool. If not, I'm just there to make a pilgrimage. It's yeah. like I'm a guitar player, you know I mean? Jazz guitar player, and I have grew. I lived in New York. I'm, all those guys are my friends, yeah. you know, and it's just like because of finances or whatever. I mean, like, let's face it, you don't need to really import a good guitar player if you're in New York. Right. So, um, you know, but I just want to, I mean, I'm doing this for me. Yeah. And I do want them to hear that show. I'm yeah. proud of it. I yeah. figure it's a good place for it. So, I mean, so I'm just going to do it. I figured, okay, Bruce, you know, you're not getting younger. Block out a week of your life and go have some fun. Yeah. Whatever you can do, great. Whatever else, it's like, okay. <laughs> wow. Man, that'll be great. Yeah. Uh, I, I wish I could just follow you around and, and uh, watch you do your thing in the different cities. Yeah, you Actually, know. I mean, that would be a great guitar wank video show. You know? Yeah. I just follow you for a week with a camera. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's just, I mean, just the hang. You know what I mean? Again, you know, it's funny. I think about music, and, and of course the the show, I deal with that. It's like, we all have different reasons for uh, wanting to play. You know, I mean, like, of course, the sound grabs us, and we're hooked. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. But there's this other element. I mean, some guys, like, particularly guitar, a lot of guys are motivated by stardom, wanting people to love them. Mm. A lot of guys are motivated by girls, and wanting to get girls, particularly at my age, that was a good avenue for mm -hmm. dealing with the opposite sex. Mm -hmm. You know, it was considered pretty cool to be able to do that. Um, there's just myriad dynamics that draw, and and I realized that you know me. Well, of course, I wouldn't wouldn't mind fame huh? or, or or money or yeah. women. Sure. Uh, it was really community. The thing about jazz yes. that blew my mind yes. was how the cats were all so eccentrically original and individual, mm. and yet together they really supported each other, and you were just like, as soon as you were in this group of humans, it was just this wonderful, challenging, embracing, terrifying, whacked out yeah. experience, you know, to be belong. I mean, so like, it was almost a sense of belong community that has Absolutely. always really been my attraction to the music beyond the sound part of it mm -hmm. and you know and I, like i say i mean it's very obvious like scott does not re relate on that level when mm -hmm. we talk when i talk about it he even like bullshit the community you know like he thinks like i'm doing kumbaya and he, you know, <laughs> he feels like he's in the boy scouts again or something you know what i mean huh. it's just that's not his thing you know i mean he's got other motivations <laughs> and which is really cool we're all different sure Right. You know, but I re recognize, and for me, you know, I mean, I got all these friends back there. Some of them I knew when I lived back there damn near 40 years ago now. Wow. You know, and so, and of course I've been back there and played right. since then, but, you know, I just want to reach out. And maybe, maybe I'll open up some territory so I can go back more often. Right. But then again, maybe it's just a chance to go say hi. You know? Yeah. And they're neither not putting any expectations on it. Yeah, that's cool. And um, anyways, I don't know why I took it there. But the, the community thing, to me, that's such a huge part of what we do and why I think when guys get bitter in the music, it's because they really wanted something like fame mm. 
or pussy. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And it and it didn't pan out. Like all of a sudden they got on they got hip to the fact that guitar players don't really make a lot of money, you know what I mean? And it's not so cool. So they moved the women moved on. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and the guys are stuck back above. But wait a minute, but wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. and, and they're really dark. Yeah. You know, a guy really wanted to be a star. And didn't quite hit the level of stardom he wanted to hit. Yeah. And so he's bitter. You know what I mean? I think it's probably but more the, so in, in other styles than jazz, because you guys do well, have that, you that know, community. But I mean, yeah, and, you know, but I think the guys that are just looking for a community, they're really kind of happy, well, you know what I mean? They're yeah. still whacked out, crazy, eccentric people. Right. But there's, like, there's not that cognitive dissonance. Yeah, wow. I Again, I have to go back to my grandfather, who... Was, I keep just mentioning him, my grandfather. Yeah. His name, if anyone listening wants to Google him or, or whatever, his name was George Weil. Mm -hmm. And besides working, W-Y-L-E, okay. not well, his real name. His like name was Wally Bernard Wally. Weissman, uh, but it's <laughs> too Jewish for the yeah. screen crawl when TV came in. But anyway, George Weil, <laughs> W-Y-L-E. And, um, you know, besides all the work he did, he was part of two community groups one was this creston club thing that he did was part of that i think was kind of like did community outreach you know mm -hmm. um wasn't a, a group of musicians it was just it was more like rotary club or something right. so he, was, he belonged to that and he was always going to things that involved that and he also um was part of and maybe have even started this group called asmac which was a bunch of arrangers and I'll say these names probably well, a lot. Asmac of is huge now. Did he start that? Well, or was he involved in the he was, formation it was a, of it? Yeah, it was arrangers who, and his peer group was like Gerald Wilson, right, and Joe Harnell, and Man, Henry Mancini was part of it, and I think Billy May and a guy named Sid Feller who did a lot of uh, of Ray Charles's stuff and and marty page who did a lot of string arrangements for ray charles and they would meet like i want to say once a month at baroni's in yeah here in the village here, here in the valley Nuys, i guess yeah, yeah. and they'd kind of like have roasts <laughs> and they'd like yeah. you know do set you know do kind of like well they still meet i mean i, I get, didn't know that no i wow. get their emails wow every week i get an email wow. from asmac wow so my grant so again community yeah. like and and you know that was partly i think on one level just professionalism like working as as a musical director on a tv show like my grandfather did there's no way that one person could write all the arrangements every week that you would have to churn out so you would all he'd always be farming it out like hey i need a vocal chart for ella fitzgerald to sing such and such a wow. tune <laughs> you know and he'd call any number of guys who could, right. and just whoever had the time, they would do it. So it was partly survival because they needed to keep working, but I think it really was community. Yeah. And um, I always loved that. Uh, <coughs> I, I don't understand, like the thing that you're saying about guys being bitter because yeah. things didn't pan out for them. I, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming that. I'm, <coughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just projecting because I don't know. You can't really. Oh, um, I do. I, you see guys like that. You see, you meet But I know, guys. I do see guys like that. We yeah. don't know why. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. But I do think that one of the things that's kept me. I mean, I get dark sometimes, like anybody. Yeah, but, well, you know, but yeah. it's different. Yeah. But one of the things that keeps me going, like, I have a, a great. When I first moved back here five years ago to LA from New York, yep. 
that was my fear. It's like, well, I'm losing my community. But as it's turned out, uh, well, and also I didn't even say, but that reason I moved out here, again, didn't have that much to do with music. It was just life. But, um, you know, as it turns out, a lot of my New York friends have moved out here in the last few years. And I've been able to find community here, you know, so it's worked out. I think if you don't think that way, if you're not community-oriented, music is probably the wrong job for you. I mean, the only way I think you can... I was going to say if you want to be like a composer and work... Even then, you need you need to have relationships. It's, it's still, a little bit different. Even if you are, like, I, I do TV and film stuff I see, here. Okay, okay. And a lot of time I'm in the studio by myself, but... I'm constantly on the phone or emailing or texting or organizing something. And so you, there is a community. You can't do everything by yourself. Sure. Or you get a new plug-in and you have no idea how to use it. So you <laughs> yeah, call somebody who, who you know who's yeah. like, oh, yeah, that here's what you do. Or, you know, anything like that. That's I don't know how else you would do you it. you got a gig. You can't make it. You need to call somebody. You, you know, somebody calls you. You've got a gig and you need people to come to it so that the club can sub- and everybody ends up getting a gig there. You right. know what I mean? It's right. like so much of this is that, you know, and it's just, uh, I don't know. I mean, we took it far afield there, but I just really have a strong, I know that that's why I'm going back. Can I have a little hit? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> i got to say, gonna... I think we need an endorsement by Buffalo Trace. Yeah, Kentucky's that's like yeah. serious. That it's is beautiful. Nice. Thanks. The lady who did the record date. Had a case of it, and she gave everybody who played on the date one what a lovely wow. lady. What a lovely lady. She yes. should come here to guitar. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's a beautiful. No, but it, you say it's far field, but to me, it's it's not. Like when I have students, and I'm sure you have this pep talk with students, you know, over and over yeah. again. It's like it is about relationships. It is about community. You know, the guys that were working back in when I was a kid, and my we're talking about like guys I would see in my grandfather's time. Of course those guys could play their ass off. That was a given. Right. It was a given that they could sight read anything. Right. I mean, that you didn't even talk about that. Like, the, the, of course they could. But you had to be, you know, you had to embrace the fact that we're all doing this thing, you know, respect other people, show up on time, don't be an <coughs> asshole. Right. You know, be able to, you know, be su- supportive and part of a community. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's all hippy dippy, <laughs> kumbaya, like he said. Right. It's not that. You, no, no, it's not. It's not, not what that. I mean. But some people hear it that way. Yeah, yeah. But to like, them it's, it's touchy feely. Yeah. You know, it's but like, like, hey, go out to hear other people play. Yeah. Right. Like, don't sit around wondering why nobody shows up to your gigs if you haven't gone out to see a show. Yeah. And paid the money. Like I. I don't ask people for comps. Right. I don't even like to go backstage. I like to walk in the front door, buy a ticket, and enjoy the show, and you know, support what other people are doing. Yeah. Um, it's. I mean, if it's not that, then, I, then I don't know what we're doing. Right. Right. We are right. I mean, we're pretty much sunk if we can't. You know, get, if we can't support each other, how can we expect others to support us? Yeah. It's pretty weird. Well, you know. When you come back, you left 
uh, New York, come back to LA, and after touring all those, being on the road and coming back to reality can be a big, that can be a big move for guys. Was that was that a weird thing? Did you stop touring altogether, or was it? I just less of. No, I did. I mean, I, I actually, I I kind of took it a little. So okay, so I left Nora in two thousand seven. Yeah. And then I wasn't touring for a little while. Mm-hmm. I was just, I was living. And then my wife passed in 2009. And after a little while, a touring gig came up uh, with a guy. I almost feel like I shouldn't say his name because it was kind of, this is a kind of a weird story. But he is a billionaire who dabbles in music. I'll say that. <laughs> and he owns a basketball team. Uh, that rhymes with Vix. Yeah, people can figure out. Vix, I know yeah. that. <laughs> uh, anyway, he's a singer-songwriter and uh, a very successful businessman. And through his relationships, mm-hmm. everybody's got relationships at every level. Yep. We were able to open a bunch of gigs for the Eagles. Oh Jesus. You might have heard of them. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <coughs> so the whole gig was like private jets and Fuck. staying at the, you know, the Four Seasons and the Ritz Carlton. And it was at a time when I was at my lowest because I was still grieving. Yeah. And I was so happy to get out of the house. I was so happy to be valued for what I could contribute yeah. and make some music. And, you know, everyone in the band was great. It was all cats, you know. Charlie Drayton was playing drums in the beginning when I was doing it. Anyway, um, it was a good reminder that whatever the thread count, if you're not enjoying it on some spiritual, musical level, it's pretty rough. So I left that gig. You you couldn't get into it. You couldn't deal with the music or the, like, the... What was being the, the guy presenting the music? I couldn't connect with it with really any of it. It's it's a, I tried really hard because isn't it funny how you can be in like and anyone listening yeah. on the outside would be like, oh my god, dude, you got the gig, you're touring, you got yeah. everything, all of a stream of, and it's so cold and so man, man, you know, okay, them, okay, and I mean not not to put them down. I mean there are people who want to just play music and they haven't been able to play music and they're doing other jobs, right? You know? right. But I got news for you: those of us that have been doing it, mm. like I right now have things that I really wish I could do, and I can tell you, I know deep in my heart that if I got them, I would. There would be so many elements about that I went that I would be unhappy, and I would look back at where I am now and say, like, God, why didn't I realize that that was better than or as good as you know? Yeah, I mean, because you know, I mean, you 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 see this sort of the part you want to see of it, but you never see the whole. You don't see the whole picture, no. And I've been I've done those gigs myself. I was on tour. We're playing stadiums. I've got the big Marshall stacks. I've got everything I ever dreamed of. I'm miserable. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't even want to go on stage tonight. What is wrong? What's yeah. at this point? I shouldn't be here. Yeah. 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 And I'm mean, really, you know, the only thing I think, at least for me, and I wouldn't ever say what other people should do, but you know, if that kind of gig enables you to you know, secure your future and whatever like that. Of course, you, sh- you should do that. My grandfather was just all about like, 
you know. Get the gig, pay get, the bills. Exactly. Right. Yeah. These, well, days, these are people who came from the Depression. Right? Exactly. And, you know, or you, you came over during the Holocaust. You know, I mean, right. we're talking about people that had a little bit different, a little a more simplistic way of looking at the world because they didn't grow up in a Baroque world that we live in now that right. like we can actually think like am i fulfilled what the <laughs> fuck just do the job and get enough money exactly. so you don't have exactly. to fucking go to jail or live on the street yeah, exactly right? and it, even no matter how no matter how much money he had and i'm right. sure your your grandfather did well he did he never really felt like he had enough right because right. he yeah. knew like he knew what it was like to have nothing and it was like and in those people in the depression those people were f filthy rich yeah and the next day they were broke. Yeah. 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 And so you can't trust that shit. Right. Exactly. So, you know, we now, you know, probably think about shit too much. Like, you know. Because we can. Because we can. Because we, we got can. the luxury of We doing have the it. luxury of thinking too much. I mean, we're also talking about an era where you marry your high school sweetheart mm -hmm. and that's it. Yeah. You don't think about, like, the other girls you could have married or whatever. Like, you just that's what you do and you work and you do you know it's a luxury to to second guess everything and yeah, think about yeah. the other thing that could be better but it, so i forget exactly how you started this thread but just basically i moved back out here like five years ago had to make a fresh start i quit this touring gig that was like on paper, the cushiest gig <laughs> imaginable. Yeah, like yeah. lots of people would look at that and just be at Adam Levy. You're you're you got to keep this gig forever, forever, for as long as you can keep it forever. But of course, the reality is, uh, you know, just like with the Depression era, you don't know how long you're going to keep it. I could have decided for myself, I'm going to ride this until the end, and it could have lasted a week, and yeah. it could have lasted a week. So I left that gig because it wasn't connecting for me i moved to la where i had no prospects and what i started to do was a couple things one is i would go out to hear people play and try and see what was happening not just sit around and wait for stuff yeah. to happen i started this thing called guitar tips which was a, at the time it's i've since turned it into something that people could subscribe to and pay money to but it was just a free thing and i thought i'm just going to give something to the community of guitar players every week i'm going to post a five ten minute video talking about some simple thing like it could be a technical thing it could just be a philosoph philosophical thing yeah or whatever and just share that you now where, where do people for our listeners who don't know where this at where do we find this it start it started on youtube uh there's like 130 episodes wow. of it on youtube it's it's just go to youtube and look for Adam Levy guitar tips. Yeah. And then if you want to subscribe at the, uh, there's like all kinds of extra stuff that you can get. You actually get PDFs of the music I play and you can get video exchange coaching lessons. That's at guitartipspro.com. Yeah. Yeah. So I started that when I moved back here at zero prospects, but I'm like, I'm gonna create this thing. It's at the <coughs> time was a free thing. Um, I'm going to go out and hear people play and just try and engage and see what's happening. Not hand out business cards, not harangue anybody, but just, you know, join, join, join the river already in progress, yeah. you know. And little by little, you know, a little bit of that and a little bit of like having a clear idea of like, 
I'm not trying to be the everyman anymore. It's like there's certain things that, certain people, certain scenes, certain sounds that I want to be part of. And little by little, that's actually manifested. And so that's one other thing, if I can just, like I remember when I played with Joey Barron, he would tell me like that he lived in L.A. for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And when he moved out here, it was because he wanted to play with um, Carmen McRae, mm-hmm. who at the time had a drummer. Yeah. Didn't need it. was Duck. <coughs> Duck Bailey. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, but he knew that's what he wanted, and he just kind of <coughs> slow and steady found himself on the gig with Carmen McRae. So it was a very, cl- it wasn't just like, I'll move to L.A. and see what happens. It was right, like he, right, had no, he had a thing. And, um, you know, I didn't exactly have a plan when I moved here. I knew I needed to leave New York, but... Um, the more focused I got about certain part things, certain aspects of music that I wanted to get into, the more I felt like I could actually do it. And so, not that anyone's asked, but if they did ask, I would say, yeah, community and focus are are really good. Well, things. yeah, I mean, and you did the guitar tips, but you're also you were the chair at Los Angeles Music College. That's right. Um, well, I imagine that I imagine that started with just teaching there and and working your way up the chain, you know. No, it didn't. No, it, you, they just hired you as the chair. Yeah, <laughs> crazy, okay. but no, true. There no reason. Well, I mean, I remember, you know, I worked there before that. When I first came to town, I didn't know that. When I first came to town, you know, because what I was doing was uh, Joe got sick. Joe Diorio got right. sick, and so they called me to sub for him yeah. basically until he got well so i would come down from up northern california wow. and hang out in la and la was really great i mean i just joined the community almost immediately you know i was getting gigs and playing with great players and having a ball and and then um after a year or so they joe decided he wasn't really ever going to be able to come back it was just too much you know he want to retire mm-hmm. so then they offered me the gig and I took it, and I don't know if it was during the time I was subbing for Joe right after I got the gig, but a guy named Tarek Akoni, a great guitar yeah, player, was great. running the guitar program at right. Los Angeles Music College. It was Lama back then. Right. Oh, Lama. And uh, he says, will you come teach a class? And I said, yeah, but here's the deal. you got to pay me what USC is paying me. I mean, I can't, right. can't work for less. I mean, it's right. like disrespectful to them. Right. And they're, they're paying me good, so uh, he did. Right. And um, it didn't work out for various reasons. Let's just say, uh, you know, the, the student body was, it was treated as an elective course. And, and for some reason, uh, the, the, the students at that time thought elective meant you can show up if you want to. Uh, <laughs> not, not it's a class you take, but you're not required to take. You know, Jeez, elective yeah, means, sure. you know, non-required but optional course that you take. Right. But to them, it meant show up if you want. Wow, right. And, 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 and really, I wasn't r- rigorous at all. I right. mean, I really realized I had people that, you know, the first week I realized, okay, we all played, and I realized these guys don't know anything about jazz, but th- the idea sounds good to them. You know, mm-hmm. they're probably rock players that are thinking, well, if I learn some jazz, I can bring it back to rock music, which I really think is a great idea. Yeah. I wholeheartedly embrace and endorse that. Right. And so I said, all right, guys, well, let me tell you about kind of where it started. Let's talk about Charlie Christian. He's this great guy. You know, I told the story historically, you know, and he's a very colorful guy, and he was young. And, and I said, just go on YouTube. 
and just like take one lick off the record. Something you listen to it and like something that to you sounds like that's what he sounds like. If you took one thing out of the box right. and put it on your like table, you say, "Yeah, that's Charlie Christian." You know, something he seems to do a lot. Yeah. You know, just listen sure. to it or something that's easy to do. Yeah, sure. Whatever. Yeah. Everybody didn't show after that. <laughs> that was too hard. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And it was like, okay, like two guys came back. Yeah. You know, one of them did the work. Yeah. You know, and it's like. Okay. All right. Well, you know, and then, then, then you know, I kind of got the word from above. Well, you're, you're a little too, you know, demanding. Which I thought I was being like super entry. I mean, it was like middle school right. kind sure, of stuff. Sure. And you know, so it just didn't work out for me yeah. at that time. And that was, you know, I mean, I've since gone back, as you know. Yeah. When you were the chair, and yeah. um, it's a completely different environment now. Yeah. You know, and uh, so so you just got you you just like got the gig. I mean, as the chair, I was very lucky. They were right about to make a change, and it was just very lucky timing. Great. Yeah. And you did you do a lot of curriculum writing and stuff like that? I did, but it it was it was challenging. I'd never worked within a college uh, framework before, so um, you know, it's challenging for me to. <laughs> to create courses and stuff, you know, you, it just was, for, it was still kind of foreign to me. I had yeah. always been kind of a freelancer. I did some freelance teaching at NYU. I did some freelance teaching for the new school in New York <coughs> when I was in New York. Right. But when you're dealing with curriculum, there's just like, a, it's like a yeah. puzzle. There's oh, yeah. a lot of moving pieces and there's units and there's oversight by uh, accrediting bodies. And it was... It was harder to move piece, and you know, people, you have to get approval on things. So I did write curriculum. I did create courses. Um, you know, not from scratch. It wasn't like like I'm going to start a guitar right. program from scratch. But right. I felt like I did have a good impact. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it, uh, but ultimately, it got it was too many. It was too many hours of admin and not enough time sitting face to face with the students, which is the part that I really enjoy. Right. And I, I, so I did it for two and a half years, uh -huh. and I felt like it was time for me to, to just go back to teaching. Uh -huh. And so. while this was going on, you were still doing the guitar tips. Exactly. Very robust. Yeah, very robust, yeah. And, um, and I'm happy, and, and Molly Miller has taken over as the chair, and she's great. So proud of her. Yeah. She, you know, I had her as a student all through her, God, it seemed like she lived at USC. Yeah. She, you know what I mean? She did the undergrad, she did the gauntlet. Yeah. Undergrad, master's, and doctorate. Right. She's freaking doctor wow. of jazz guitar. Yeah, badass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Badass. she did the whole thing. And, you know, <clears throat> now she's like on the road with Jason Mraz, which is her dream gig. Yeah. It's the gig, you know, if, if I had to put her down, if I had to sat her down, you know, back in her DMA days and said, well, Molly, really, where do you want to go if you could go anywhere? She would have probably said, Jason Mraz's band, that's what I want to play. Wow. Here. Now Good she's doing it. You know? Yeah, I saw her at the Hollywood Bowl last yeah. year. It was incredible. Yeah. That's kick ass. That's, yeah. I love hearing stories like that. Yeah. Where they're like, oh, yeah, she's like really a dream, special man. kid. She really is living the dream. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. So so nowadays, what, what are we doing? What's what's like the guitar tips? Yeah. So I, obviously how many people are viewing that stuff? I imagine that's Well, Guitar Tips, the original YouTube channel, I mean it's kinda of, I don't know. It's small potatoes when you look at what some people do on YouTube. But <coughs> considering that I started it without thinking about numbers, I don't do analytics or yeah, anything. Yeah. 
It's 5,000 people on subscribed. I don't know. 5,000 people have subscribed to YouTube Guitar Tips. On Guitar Tips Pro, it's 100 and some odd people. And, you know, but it's turned into this, It's that's again coming back to community. The, yeah. When I have 5,000 people on YouTube, I can't really have relationships with all those people. When it's 100 people, um, and I know they're invested because they're literally invested, you know, they pay money to be there. Um, there's a lot of uh, conversations go back and forth between like, you know, what are you guys thinking about? What are you challenged by? What are you excited right. about? Yeah. Um, I see which lessons people get super excited about. I see which other lessons people kind of go like, everybody <laughs> seems to go like, yeah, that's interesting. I'm not sure what I can do with that. Right. So I try to create things that are sort of in between that are like, I mean, it is at the end of the day, it's my, ch it's the Adam Levy channel. So I want to share things that pertain to what I'm excited about. Yeah. But I also want to have things that hopefully players can use on a gig today or tomorrow or next week, yeah. you know, and stuff that if they're practicing they can work on right now so and it's very real <coughs> like um i recently posted a thing about how to practice everybody's like i don't think people are confused about what to practice as much as how to practice mm. you know yeah. so i did a thing about that or i did a thing about jesse ed davis who is a really great blues guitar player who played I think differently than anybody I can think of. And it wound up being a lesson, not so much like here's five Jesse Ed Davis licks, but like here's five ways to like get, to play blues and not play the same shit that everybody is playing. But just like, not even five ways, it was like here's one way that will completely reset and recalibrate your approach to playing the blues using the same boxes, but in a completely different way. So it could be stuff like that. So, so I do that every week. I recently went from doing it in my tiny little <coughs> home studio, which was like smaller than my bathroom, <laughs> to renting a space, because that was a goal. Like, yeah, if, yeah. if I get this much per month, I can rent a space. And it's, it made it very real to me. <coughs> uh, you know, I make $1,000 a month now doing something I used to do for free on YouTube. It's yeah. like, well, that's a real thing. Um, and now I have another goal that I want to get to. So I'm doing that. Yeah. Um, I'm actually going to wear my Guitar Tips t-shirt at NAMM next this weekend when I go. <laughs> well, we, going? We, we got Guitar Wag t-shirts, so awesome. maybe we should, we should, you know, like join forces. Yes, absolutely. Right? I'm, not, I'm actually not going to be there, but Troy will. I'll yeah. be there. Yeah. I'll see you. Yeah. So I'll do that. And then what else am I doing? I'm, I have a quartet with a pedal steel player named Rich Hinman. And we play around town uh, with a bass player named Jennifer Condos and a dr drummer named Jay Belarus. Oh, Jay, yeah. Yeah, and we play gigs around L.A. Um, this month, I realize people are going to hear this. Actually, in people are going to hear this show tonight. Fucking really? Oh, you're going to put this one up tonight? Yeah, because we've okay. got now. No, oh, so we got I, people like probably emailing you right now, where's the show? Oh, wow. Because it's, mo well, it's Monday. I, yeah, people, they got less. Oh, they realize now it's they realize Tuesday. It's, it's on Troy's we time. Have been, we have been actually like, we started two years ago on Martin Luther King Day. And every Monday we've put out a show. Sometimes it's Tuesday. But, you know, I mean, every week Pretty a show much, comes yeah, out. Yeah. Man, so we're like, something. you know, you know, it's two so years if, worth. If of you have something to plug, 
Do well, it I can do it. Do it That's now. awesome. I was imagining, because sometimes you do an interview and it's like, I, I recently was interviewed by Guitar Player Magazine. Yep. I say recently. Uh, it, it sat on... Uh, somebody's hard drive for almost a year before it actually hit the. Oh, ink. Jude Gold's thing. Did you no, ever do was, that? No, I did that, and he put that out quickly. I'm oh. talking about the actual print magazine. They interviewed me about a record I made, and it kept getting like postponed, postponed. Almost a year went by, wow. so it wasn't timely to the record release anymore. I'm still grateful for two pages in Guitar Player magazine, of course, but. Um, it's, I'm just like a little bit taken aback that like you're actually going to publish this tonight. Well, this so, is good, but we're getting deep in the show, so you're going to put like a whole hour and a half. Let's make shit. it a long show. What the fuck? We're having a good time. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's plug. Right. What else you okay. got to plug? So, <laughs> uh, by the way, there's artichokes, free for a dollar. <laughs> so if you're in L.A., I've been doing this January residency at a club called ETA in Highland Park. It's uh, on it, Wednesday, and I I admit that I have been working get, every night. I'm glad you're working. And I know I am too, and it looks like it's only this month. So I'm going to miss it. Only this month. I'm going to miss it. So, but because we got we we got to plug our gig here Wednesday night. Yeah. Damn, but I mean, it's Larry Goldings and Jay, right? It's not Jay. Oh. I've had I've played a lot with Jay. I'm playing with a, a young drummer from Sydney named Abe Rounds. Aussie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they're trouble, mate. <laughs> <laughs> and he's incredible. Yeah. And, um, you know, so anyway, that's been going on. If you're in, even if you're just in town for NAM, you could see us this Wednesday. This Wednesday. You could even come to our gig on Wednesday. So the choice is in the early part. Where's your gig? Is here. It's here. We're doing oh. a house concert here of the Red <clears throat> Guitar, and then I'm doing duo with this. Unbelievable singer named Danielle D'Andrea. I don't oh yeah, she is incredible. Yeah, so we're doing like I'm doing red guitar. We, and then we're we playing set them up here and we get about twenty people. And we do wine and it's like a it's like private a house. party studio house concert. Thing, incredible. Know? Yeah, a lot of fun. But wow. maybe after, maybe you guys go pretty late. Right? We play till like twelve thirty. Well, maybe yeah. maybe you know I'll will get a chance to hear it because I really do you know want to hear it. It's, but it's it's all through Jen. It's just through January, right? Yeah. So we got two. There's two more. Two more to There's go. This week, the it's the two the two that are left are the two last Wednesdays that straddle Nam. So if anybody happens to be in LA just for the Nam show, yeah. If you're here early or late, uh, that's happening. What else can I play? Uh, my latest record is the record I made with Joe. 